Jenny Chok was seated in the car thinking to herself that her life is perfect. On her right was her boyfriend who was just driving them back from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore. This would be a four-hour journey where she would be showered with attention from him. She was looking out the window when the ground started to turn sideways. She felt the car swerving to the right and it dawned on her. This holiday is turning into a nightmare. She was about to die in a car crash. The smell of smoke was in the air and the texture of dust was on her hands, but she felt alive. She turned to her boyfriend, who miraculously survived as well, and felt an overwhelming sense of relief. Jenny would soon learn that her boyfriend did so with a kind heart. He was just trying to avoid a dog that he saw on the road. But what she wouldn't know was that someone wanted to kill her, and that this was only the first attempt at her life. You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. I'm your host, Yo Guangjin. But first, our partners. Crimes of Singapore is an Instagram account that reports all types of crimes that happens in Singapore. It ranges from nefarious to heartland crimes and relies on user submissions to keep the public informed. If you want to make a difference, you can submit any crime at their Instagram account at Crimes of Singapore. And now, back to Heinous. Why someone wanted to kill Jenny would remain a mystery for a while. You see, as far as we can tell, Jenny Chalk has lived an unsurprising life. While the records to her biography were sparse, we know a couple of things. One, her real father had died, and her mother remarried to birth a half-sister. Two, she was fairly uneducated, having only attended three years of elementary school. And three, she had an arranged marriage with a man only to separate from him years later, after bearing two children. It would have been the 1960s when she left her husband, and she would have been at her early 20s. You must understand that the 1960s were tough for a young woman in a traditionally Chinese family. Most prioritize their sons and invest little time developing their daughters. At first, we thought maybe the ex-husband had something to do with this, but any other mention of him doesn't really exist, except that he had married Jenny before. So who else wanted to kill her? After her divorce, she would work in an Odeon bar and restaurant at North Bridge Road until the May of 1963. This was where we learned she met someone called Sunny Ang. Luckily, unlike Jenny Chalk, his records were well furnished. In 1939, Sunny was born in what we know today as Malaysia. But back then, Singapore and Malaysia was one entity. The British colony of Singapore, Malaya. 
As a young kid, he showed great potential to his parents, taking to reading as a hobby and also doing well in school. By doing well, we meant he was consistently the top 10 in his school. In 1955, at age 16, he completed his secondary school in Victoria and graduated with his senior Cambridge Grade 1 certificate, the equivalent of our GCE O-Level certificate today. This would have made him highly educated at that time. In just two years, he would decide to train to be a teacher. At first glance, everything about Sunny Ang seems great to us. Even his form tutor in secondary school would be quoted saying, if there was a war, he would have distinguished himself. Which was why it made sense to us that Jenny fell head over heels to Sunny, and according to him, he did so as well. Many people would eventually say that part of the reason why Jenny fell in love with Sunny was because she was so flattered that an educated man who was so well-qualified and spoken, would take a liking to her. By the way, he was the boyfriend that drove Jenny from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore. So he was also quite a gentleman as well, who from Jenny's perspective, seems like he wanted to take her to see the world. They would continue dating till the 27th of August, 1963, where we learned about a fishing trip that would change their lives forever. To talk about the fishing trip, we would need to introduce someone, Yusuf bin Ahmad. He was the boatsman that took Sunny and Jenny out for the trip. As luck would have it, his records are even more obscure than Jenny. But luckily, what happened that day was meticulously recorded. Yusuf bin Ahmad was around the docks when he saw two familiar faces. He remembered, ah, that's the couple I brought before to Sisters Island. I hope they know what they're doing, he thought. Especially the lady. After all, she wasn't a really strong swimmer the last time. He would eventually mention that statement to a similar degree in court. The man approached Yusuf, carrying a guide rope three air tanks, two pairs of flippers, two knives, a small axe, an aqua lung equipment, and a transistor radio for the trip. After some discussion, Yusuf agreed to $12 as payment to bring them out for three hours. This was at 2.30pm. Yusuf went out to sea, and after 30 minutes, Sunny told him to stop right smack at the centre of the streets, making it furthest from land. Yusuf saw the girl suit up for a dive, and to his disbelief, she put the axe, knife, and metal weight onto her dive belt. He must be thinking that this inexperienced swimmer is crazy. That's a lot of weight to carry for someone who is new. Sunny dropped the guide ropes in the water and let her enter the water alone. One minute passed, then five, and then 10. And Yusuf started to get a little uneasy. She isn't coming up. Just then, some bubbles were seen and the girl resurfaced. He noticed the man beside her changing her tank before letting her return to the water again. I guess practice makes perfect? Yusuf might have thought. <laughs> 
He also wondered why the man isn't following her. At that moment, the man stood up and started checking his own tank. I guess things started to look more normal to Yusuf. But then, the man called him over and told him his tank has a gas leak. Yusuf probably lost track of time as he helped the man to improvise a new washer for his tank. Where's the girl? The man shouted. Right. The girl, the girl was underwater. Yusuf must have thought. How long has it been? The man tucked the rope three times before turning to Yusuf. Do you see any air bubbles? He asked him. Yusuf saw nothing. No bubbles at all. Eventually, Yusuf would recommend to the men for them to go to St. John's Island, where they would call the police, then bring a group of Malay fishermen to help look for the girl. The fishermen would find nothing. Neither would the police, nor the Royal Navy and RAF divers who went looking for the girl. The search would end when they found a green flipper with the heel strap severed. Just like that, Jenny would disappear from the face of the earth and Sonny would have lost his dear wife. But the question remained, who wanted her dead? But first, our partners. Crimes of Singapore is an Instagram account that reports all types of crimes that happens in Singapore. It ranges from nefarious to heartland crimes and relies on user submissions to keep the public informed. If you want to make a difference, you can submit any crime at their Instagram account, at Crimes of Singapore. And now, back to Heinous. In the 1960s, a central theme for the police force is to safeguard the nation's future. Particularly after 1963, where Singapore merged with Malaysia. There was racial violence in communities. And there was even a spate of bombings carried out by Indonesian saboteurs at McDonald House in Singapore. The SPF learned very quickly, under extreme circumstances, how to identify a threat before it blows up. And also how to tell an accident from a murder. Till this day, the SPF would scrutinize every case and pull every threat, which was something the murderer did not expect they had started investigations the moment Jenny was reported missing. But at that time, the murderer would seem to be convinced that he had succeeded. In fact, The Straits Times reported a couple of days later, a news item titled, Barmaid, Diving with Boyfriend, Disappears. The article mentioned three inaccurate statements, which both you and I would realise was completely untrue. Number one, that Jenny and her boyfriend went out diving together, so they fitted their goggles and went for the dive. Number two, that they enjoyed skin diving and went diving several times in Pulau Dua together. And number three, both of them have been dating for six months. But we know Sunny never went down with Jenny, so it was Jenny doing all the diving by herself. They did not go diving multiple times at Pulau Dua, and they only met in May of 1963, which meant that they have only dated for three months. The article was wrong, because the article's source was told by the murderer himself. 
Paisangi Ang. Singapore's average IQ is about 105 at the time of this recording. According to Richard Hernstein and Charles Murray, who coined the term the Flynn Effect, IQ rates have been steadily increasing. The predominant research is within the USA, which suggests that IQ tends to increase by about three points per decade. If we account for the Flynn Effect in 1963, the average IQ in Singapore could be around 90. Sunny's was over 40% higher than the average at that time, with an IQ of 128. For context, that is four points lower than what is minimally required to enter Mensa today. Though it's undocumented why, but we believe Sunny's high IQ could have led him to grow bored easily. And that could have led to dangerous consequences. You see, his perfect story to Jenny wasn't so perfect after all. After the six years that he decided to be a teacher, to meeting Jenny, he would have left to train as a pilot under a government scholarship. But he would review a reckless streak during the course, repeatedly flaunting safety regulations and subsequently dismissed from pilot school. He would then decide to train as a Grand Prix driver, ultimately taking part in the 1961 Orient Year Grand Prix, which would be the F1 that we are now very familiar with. At this point, if you think that he has actually turned things around, that he has done something great with his life, you probably thought wrong. Because ultimately, he would end his driving career when he killed a pedestrian due to negligent driving. It was almost as if this sparked a sense of excitement in him. Because in just one year's time, he would be arrested again for attempting to commit burglary. In that same year, he would then become bankrupt and be unable to afford his law degree any further. This was in 1962, just one year before meeting Jenny Cho. But when they finally met, while Jenny saw in Sunny a future husband, Sunny saw in her a solution to his bankruptcy and a moment to flaunt his IQ. This view would also be shared in court, but it would take almost two years before they could bring Sunny for trial because Sunny committed what he believed was the perfect murder. Number one, nobody was found till this day. Number two, there was no direct evidence linking him to the murder. And number three, he had a perfect alibi, the boatsman who was with him throughout the entire day. But while Sunny was smart, he wouldn't be able to escape the combined might of the police and the law. In the next episode, we'll learn how the police unraveled Sunny Ang's plan and discover the final letter that he wrote before he would be forever remembered in Singapore's history as a landmark case. tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, you can reach out to us via email at heinous at oneupmediapodcast.com or through our Instagram or TikTok page at heinous 
underscore one up media. This episode of Heinous was researched, produced, and written by Yo Guangjin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks as well to executive producers Danny Cordy, Barry To from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. <laughs>